tonight, you know, we're going to be talking about some tough stuff tonight, to be honest. So just get ready for it. We're going to talk about some controversial things. Uh, and I just, guys, my prayer tonight that you, or is that you would just let God speak to you. Uh, and I understand that when it comes to sexuality, uh, we have a lot of our own ideas about, you know, what's right, what's wrong, like what's proper sexuality. And I just want to encourage you guys, just let God speak, because we're not going to say anything. Like, it's not my ideas, it's God's ideas that we're going to talk about. And just give God a chance to speak tonight. Because, you know, we all have our uh, preconceived notions about, you know, what's right and wrong. We all have our ideas or about, the, or about how the world should work. But God sometimes disagrees with us. And, uh, and if he didn't disagree with us, then he's not really God. Because if God just agreed with everything we thought, then he'd be, or so God made in our image. You know, we're made in his image. So I just encourage you guys, just, just let, like, like, when it comes to sexuality, just any barriers in your heart, I just encourage you, just let those down and just let God speak tonight. Like, I just want him to speak to us. So we're currently in a series called, or called Loveology, and it's about our love, dating, marriage, and sex. And, and now we're on the sex talk, uh, which is why I'm pretty nervous to talk about it. It's sex. There's a lot of, you know, contro- or controversy, and I know there's a lot of hurt, too, like even more so than the controversial things. There's hurt in this room. Like, guys, for me, like, I was a screw-up sexually, you know? Like, before Jesus came and saved me, I did so many terrible things. I'm going to take you on a little bit of that journey uh, I'm not going to share all the details or anything, but just kind of where God took me from. And uh, I, just, I just believe God wants to breathe new life into us tonight. If you have a terrible sexual past, God can give you a new start. I truly believe that. I don't just say it. It's not just a fun line, like, you know, breathe new life. No, I really believe that. And I believe that no one's too far from God for him to give you a fresh start when it comes to this. Uh, and I'm really excited to share my personal story uh, with sexuality. So... The main point of this series has been, and this is really important just to, uh, or to shape our sermon, uh, the main point of this series has been this. We talked about love the very, fir- or the very first week. We talked about it throughout, but we spent the first week really defining love. And this is the definition we came up, or came up with. Or it's love, that, or it's, or it's love is more than a feeling. Love in its pure sense is laying your life down for another. So we really talked about two misconceptions in our culture. The first one was that or that love is just emotional passion. It's, you know, getting the butterflies. And we said that's not really love as Jesus defined it because Jesus said, go love one another. He commanded us to love, and we can't make ourselves have warm feelings inside, okay? So, or so love is more of an action than a feeling. So, or so love is laying down your life for someone else. And then the second misconception we talked about was this idea that, that love is tolerance. And we said love is not really tolerance because tolerance is passive, and love is active. Love is like making a choice. Love is laying down your life for someone else. You know, love isn't just, you know, saying, hey, you do your thing, I'll do mine. You know, love is, is really caring about someone, even to the point where sometimes you have to say things that they might not enjoy you saying, but it's out of love because you're willing to lay down your pride and to sacrifice the way someone else thinks of you because you love them that much. So we talk about how love isn't really tolerance, although, you know, we should accept people right where they're at, but we also have to gently point them to Jesus. Okay, so that's like the balance there. So love isn't, you know, uh, so tolerance is a good thing, or in a sense, you know, the accepting part. But, you know, just saying you do your thing, I do mine, that's not really love. So that's what we talked about the first week. Second week, we talked about dating. And, and the big point I wanted you guys to get from that was every, or every healthy, godly dating relationship should be heading somewhere. So whether it's towards or away from marriage. You know, no, like, healthy dating relationship is just, like, we're just dating just to date, which is what I did in middle school. You know, I used to get a new girlfriend every week. Hey, we're going to go to Casey's and get a pizza or get a pizza slice together and or Mountain Dew, and we sit on the sidewalk and talk, and then I 
or dump them next week, and or I get a new girlfriend, we play together, hang out. No, that's not really what dating should be. Dating should be headed towards marriage. So if you're 12, you probably shouldn't date. I don't think anyone's 12 in this room, but because you can't get married. Uh, but all healthy dating relationships should be headed towards marriage, or you know, or a healthy thing is to be headed away and say, or say, hey, like this person's not for me. And, and to, or to make the decision to break up. But, you know, like, if you don't like, at least try and date, like, you can't figure that out if they're supposed to be your spouse. So that's what we talked about the second week. Third week, we talked about marriage. I'm going to throw the four purposes of marriage up there, uh, or, or in case you weren't here. Or we said marriage is for four things. One, friendship. So, like, marriage is the most intimate bond any of us can have or on earth. It's the most intimate bond we can have. And, and the first thing is for friendship. Second thing is for gardening. You may be wondering, what the heck does it mean by gardening? That's just like our call or what God wants us to do in this world. So if you're an accountant, that's your gardening, okay? And, uh, and we talked about how a healthy marriage or purpose of marriage is to bring two people together to accomplish a calling, okay? Third thing with sex, you know, our marriage is the only relationship where it's healthy to have sexual relations inside of it. And we talked about some reasons for that. And finally, family. So procreation is a purpose of marriage as well. So or my contention last week was that sex should only be expressed inside this marriage relationship where both parties are willing to commit for life. And we're going to talk about that more tonight. So tonight we're just going to dive into sex, and more specifically sexual purity. Uh, you know, I don't want to talk about, you know, like talking about sex inside marriage. Like most of you aren't married, so I'm not going to get, like, go into that. I'm going to talk about sexual purity. How do we abstain from sex, you know, before marriage, but also that sex is a good thing? Uh, to be excited about, but we're just not supposed to have it yet or until we're in marriage. So that's where we're going. And, and as I said, uh, throughout tonight's sermon, I'm going to take you on a journey of what God has done in my life. Uh, I just want to say, before we, like, or before we really dive into this, like this isn't theory or, or this, like, you know, this knowledge or theoretical things that are ideas. Like I've lived this journey of going from being you know, sexually broken and addicted to pornography and all these different things to finding forgiveness and freedom. So this isn't just theory. This is my life. You know, this is what God did in my life. So I just want you to know it's coming from the deepest part of me. And, and my prayer is that tonight, if you're struggling with sexual brokenness, that you could find forgiveness, find freedom, and then go on a new path, just like Jesus miraculously did in my life. So and that's where we're headed. But the reality is, is we need a fresh perspective on sexuality in our culture. In the 1960s, the sexual revolution swept across America, and we really haven't been the same since. Although the sexual brokenness that has come as a result of the 60s is not new to our world, like, you know, Rome was really screwed up sexually, or it's not new to our world, or this radical, uh, this radical new thinking, sorry, I just spit on Riley almost, about sex, <laughs> is uh, this radical new thinking about sex that we have in our culture is really new to America, and specifically to the Christian world, which, you know, now we're really a post-Christian world, like, like that's not the norm anymore. But, but it's really new to our society. So now we have this radically different view on sex, and it's ravaged our culture. And the sons and daughters of the sexual revolution, which is like me and you sitting in this room, have bore the pain of it. You know, whether you were sexually abused as a kid or whether you've been addicted to pornography or, or there's so many other things, so many different things that our generation has had to bear the pain of the choices of our parents, changing the view of sexuality in our culture to where it's not this idea where sex should be saved for marriage between a man and woman, but it's totally different now. Like, just do whatever you want with your body. Don't tell me what to do. Sex is a right. All these things. And I'm not saying we should have laws against, you know, having sex before we're married or anything like that. But this new idea of, 
of like, my sexuality is my right. Do not tell me what to do. Don't say anything to me. I won't say anything to you. That's brand new. And into where sex has become this ultimate thing in our culture where it's something to almost be worshipped. And we see that in our television shows. Uh, like some of the most popular shows on television are actually about like extramarital affairs, like Scandal, or I think there's something called like The Good Wife. I don't know. Like some of these popular shows, like their main, or the main uh, topic of the show is someone cheating on their spouse. I think that's ridiculous. That's the kind of stuff we enjoy. Or, or how about Game of Thrones? I'm stepping on some toes, but, but the show, I've never seen it, but I've heard it features pornography regularly on the show, and we watch it, and the church watches it. And this is just normal, okay? And that's the thing. These things have become normal. 50 years ago, that's just unheard of. Okay? And I'm not saying that, you know, the way the world was in 1950 is the way it should be now. There's some things that have been good. Like, you know, back then it was like, hey, like, you know, you can sin, just don't show it in public. Like, if you get pregnant, you better get married. Like, all these things. Like, I'm not saying that the doctrines of the 50s are what we need to adopt now, but I also think that the 60s went too far in trying to combat some of these things. They went too far. So what I'm trying to do tonight, guys, is to uh, bring us back to God's view of sexuality. That's really what I want to do because the only reason I'm teaching is not because like I have, uh, or not because I have some axe to grind with you or I'm you know mad about the 60s or anything. But I think that that's where we're going to find wholeness. Okay, that's where we're going to find life. That's where we're going to find joy. Is when we really live, or when we really view sex in the proper way that God has intended it to be viewed. And I believe that there's so many of us in this room who are you know addicted to pornography or you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And all those things may be enjoyable in the moment. I think most of us can say that, or that after the act, typically we feel this hole in our heart. We feel, we feel this pain. And I want God to heal that tonight. That's my goal. I don't want you just to think differently about sex, but I want God to heal us. And if we don't talk about the truth, we can never be healed from it if we don't address it. So like I said earlier, guys, I really want you to give God an opportunity to do something new. If you have a different idea about sex than I do or the Bible does, just give God an opportunity to speak to you. I just really want to ask you, just lay down your guards. We're friends here. We're friends. I love all of you. And I'd love to talk more about this stuff after the sermon if you want to talk to me personally. But just, just allow God to speak to you. And the real, or the main passage that, or that tonight we're going to let God speak to us through is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 20. And I really encourage you, if you have your phone or your Bible, <clears throat> like even though it's up on the screen, I encourage you, to, you know, or just to open to there so you can follow along with us and see how the whole passage goes together. But I think... Before we jump into that, though, I think we need to create a good foundation uh, to shape the rest of our talk. And in the last three weeks, I have really been devoted to, to building this foundation. You know, I've talked about sex often, or pretty much in every sermon, just a little bit. And it's all been about building a foundation for tonight. But I think we need to go a little bit further. So there's a couple of things I want to go through. Uh, the first thing is this. First Timothy 6.17. I think this is a really foundational verse to, to start off our talk. So... 1 Timothy 6.17 argues that God provides us with everything to enjoy, and that would include sex. Let's read it. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty and not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, I get it. He's talking about personal possessions here. He's saying they're rich. But I think it applies to everything that God gives us. And the reality is, is God gave us our biology, the way our bodies are made. Like, he made us that way. Like, sex is an accident. It's not, you know, like Adam and Eve start getting on in the garden, and then God was freaked out. That's not what happened. He planned for that, okay? And, and sex is something he's given us to enjoy. And we really need to understand that sex is not a bad thing or an evil thing. It's just one of those things that God has given to us to enjoy. So there's two extremes 
in our society, there's two misconceptions on sex, and I want to go through both of these. Uh, the first misconception on sex is this, and I kind of just talked about this, this idea that sex is this evil thing to be avoided at all costs. And this is typically a misconception in the church. We view sex as this evil, terrible thing, and then when you get married, you're supposed to start enjoying it all of a sudden. Like, how awkward is that? Like, you know, with your dating partner, you're, like, trying to avoid sex, which is a good thing, but, you know, it's, like, so evil, and you feel so guilty and all this stuff, and then you get married, and it's like, oh, enjoy it now. It's just a, it's a hard switch to do, and, and we really need to have a good view of sex, that, hey, hey we all want to get married and have sex. Sex is awesome. Some of you may be called to sing or, or to be single, but, you know, most people want to have sex. Sex is a good thing from God. God created it. It's awesome. I enjoy it a lot. I think you will too, or once you do it, or if you already have. Sex is a good thing, and we need to not view it as an evil thing. We need to get away from this idea of dualism, where the physical world is bad and evil, and anything from the world is, you know, or anything from the world is bad, and then the spiritual world is good. No, God created the physical world. God gives us good things for us to enjoy. The problem is when we make these good things into ultimate things, and that's the second misconception. This idea that sex is an ultimate thing to be had at all costs. We view sex as an end-all, be-all, the thing that will bring us happiness. It's this key to our joy. You see it in our television shows. Sadly, oftentimes we have trouble enjoying the things that God has given us without making them into little gods. In the Garden of Eden, Eve chose the fruit over God, and, and ever since then we've been choosing God's creation or God's stuff over God himself. You know, we make money or sports or education and even sex into these, or into these little gods in our lives. And in America, I think one of our biggest struggles, like maybe other than money, is, is worshiping sex. We have even gotten to the point where we define ourselves by our, our sexuality. This is a very low view of humanity. God, or God looks much more than your sexuality to define you. Like you're made in the image of God. He doesn't define you by your sexuality. So Romans 1, 24 through 25 says this. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for, for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what Paul's saying here, he's saying we were made to worship, but the question is who or what are we going to worship. The Apostle Paul, who, who was in the, or in the Roman world, he knew the danger of falling into this, or into this worship of sex. Sex can become a god in our society, and I think it has. You know, we have to give up our innocence, our purity, our health, and even our freedom so we can have sex. And ever since the sexual revolution, we have made sexual freedom into a right. When we worship this god of sex, we become slaves to it. We have to download porn. We have to masturbate. We have to sleep with our significant other. We have to give in. We become slaves to sex and to sin. Doing whatever you want sexually is not freedom, but it's slavery. And tonight, God wants to set us free of that. I don't know about you, but whenever I tried to do whatever I wanted sexually, like it led to slavery, not freedom. Like you felt in bondage to that. You had to look at porn. You have to screw around with your girlfriend. That's what happened to me. It became a bondage on my life. That's not freedom. Sex is not the end goal. Sex is something that's meant to push us into worship of our creator. Like, guys, when you're having sex when you're married, you can worship Jesus. I've done it before. Like, maybe you'll start praying in tongues. You're having sex. I don't know. Okay, maybe not. But 
You can worship Jesus through sex, something to be enjoyed. So we, I had to lighten the mood. You guys were getting way too serious with me. So we have to stop viewing sex as an ultimate thing. We think if I can only fulfill that sexual desire, then I'm going to be happy. And this leads to all sorts of sexual abuses. It gets us off center, and it leaves us dissatisfied. Pornography, masturbation, sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend will not fill the hole that's in your heart. And you're still laughing about that. <laughs> we need to get away. I'm going to keep going, though. We need to get away from viewing sex as an ultimate thing. And when we put it on the throne of our hearts, it's only going to lead to pain, to sorrow, and to dissatisfaction. And I don't really have to contend with that because you guys understand that. Like, you've probably lived it. It's going to lead to pain or to sorrow. So if you're here last week, or you'll remember that for the marriage talk, our main text was Genesis 2. And at the end of our text, we came to this profound verse about, or about marriage and sex. And I think it's important to refresh ourselves. So Genesis 2.24 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So I think this is probably the most foundational text on marriage in the Bible. God says that in marriage, the man leaves his father and mother and becomes united on every level with his wife. They become one flesh. And as I said last week, the word for one is a cod in the Hebrew. And it means to be fused together at the deepest levels on, on every level. Ikad blurs the lines between a man and woman. It makes it hard to tell who is who, and you're truly, fully known by this other person. And when you have sex with another person, you know them at their deepest levels, at least physically. And if we're going to talk about sex, we need to understand this Ikad. We need to understand that when you have sex, it's not just something to do for fun. Like you're literally being fused together at the deepest levels with this person. So I don't know about you. I don't want to have that happen with someone I don't even know their name. Okay, like I want that to be just with my wife inside marriage. Why? or where I'm going to know that she'll be there in the morning, okay? Like, we want someone who's committed to us for life, or else it's going to lead to hurt and pain. And a cod, our marriage is the only, or the only relationship strong enough to hold this untamed power of a cod. Marriage says, I know the best of you, I know the worst of you, yet I still want you. I'm still going to be there. I'm committed. This is the only place that the powerful active sex can be done safely and securely and actually be enjoyed to its fullest level. Like, you may think, you know, like having sex with someone for your whole life, that's boring. It actually gets better. So, like, don't raise your hand, but I'm sure some of us have had sex with people we don't know that well, and, and it's probably not that great. Like, for me, at least, on my wedding night, it was great. But it was our first time, and it was a little awkward. But when you have sex with the same person for 30, 40 years, you really get to know that person. And sex becomes better and better and better. So I'm just saying, sex with one person is way better than sex with a bunch of different people. And that was really personal. I get it. But I just, guys, I'm being real with you. I'm not going to, like, like, I'm not going to mince my words here. Like, I'm not in a church. Good thing. I can say whatever I want because you guys are college students. I'm just going to say how it is. So plain and simple, sex is too powerful, too beautiful, and too, or too lovely to just be thrown around with anybody. So 1 Corinthians, I told you to turn there, and you're wondering, when is he going to get to 1 Corinthians? So... I'm going to give you a little, or just a little background on this book. So this is a letter from Paul to this church in Corinth. And Corinth, in the Mediterranean world, was the Las Vegas of their time, okay? So the city was a huge port city, so thousands of sailors and, and merchants and travelers came through, or, or which led to Corinth becoming this hub of prostitution. And Corinth was also, or also near Athens, where Plato and 
Aristotle and some of these Greek philosophers you've heard about. And, and Athens was the birthplace of their philosophy of dualism, which is this idea I talked about earlier. There's a spiritual world. There's a physical world. You know, the physical things, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's just, you know, it's just your body, you know. Or we're all headed to be floating in the sky anyways. But the problem that happened was people were thinking sex is just a physical act. It's just a biological thing. It's, it's not a big deal if I have sex with prostitutes to fulfill my sexual urges. So Paul starts talking about this thing called porneia, this Greek word, porneia, which means sexual immorality, which is anything that's sex outside of a marriage between a man and woman. That's porneia. So he starts talking about this. Let's read it. Verse 9 through 20. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, um, or neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor or swindlers, don't be swindling people, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's important to understand that Paul is not saying if you sin, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. If you sin without Jesus, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But Jesus comes in and forgives us. And the gospel says that, or says that you don't have to do anything to, or to earn your salvation. It's all by grace alone. But what he is saying is that if you're truly saved, you won't just habitually sin without repentance. He's saying you can't just, or you can't just be practicing uh, sex outside marriage whenever you want, just not caring about it, not thinking about it, uh, or just not feeling convicted. You can't just, or just worship other gods. You can't cheat on your spouse. You can't just practice homosexuality without uh, repenting or asking for forgiveness. You can't just steal from people. You can't be greedy. You can't do these things and just not, or just not repent for them and think you're going to be saved. Because when we come and taste the grace of Christ, it's going to change us. And, and it doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but it does mean we're going to progress. And we're going to become closer to Jesus. So verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both, or both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So here's that word porneia. The body is not meant for porneia, which, or like I said, any sexual activity outside of marriage. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And he gets kind of angry. He says, never. Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as, is, or for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So he's saying, don't you understand that like, when you're having sex, it's not just sex? Like, you're becoming a cod with someone? Like, why would you want to become a cod with a prostitute who you don't even know? Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? He's saying, Christians, this is to Christians. He's saying, you're not your own because you were bought by Jesus. You don't get to make decisions anymore. God is going to lead your life. So that's what I'm saying about, guys, we need to let the word inform the way we think about the world. 
Like, like if you have been bought with a price by Jesus Christ, you don't get to decide what you think about things anymore. The Bible informs that, okay? God's not going to control your mind or anything, but, but as a people, we need to submit to God and bow to him and say, God, whatever you want to say, God, whatever your word says, I'm going to submit myself to that because we were bought with a price. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, and now he's our king and he's our Lord. And he says, so glorify God in your body. So this is a weighty passage, obviously. Um, I could spend two hours unpacking the different, the different layers to this, but I'm just going to try to address as much of it as I can in 20 minutes. And that's hard to do because there's a lot to say. And I understand that this passage brings up guilt with a lot of us and maybe even some anger because you may disagree with what Paul says about homosexuality. Uh, and I'm just going to say it. Like, you may disagree with that. And that may make you angry. And that's what I've been talking about all night. Like, I'm going to actually address this. Like, people say don't address homosexuality in a church service. But I think we're actually, like, mature enough to talk about it. And we're going to talk about what the Bible says. So if you're angry, I just say this. I love you. Please don't be mad at me. Like, I'm just going to say what I think the Bible says. Like, I'm just, like, submitting to God. It's not always what I would say. Like, maybe I would do it differently. But I need to bow to God because he's way smarter than I am. He's up here. I'm down here. Like, my mind is so small. Like, I'm going to just obey what he says, Okay. So our first point tonight is this. Sex was designed for a marriage between one man and one woman, and any sex outside that covenant is a rebellion against both yourself and God. And I know this can be hard for, for us to grapple with. And, and like I said, in verse 9, Paul talks about how men who practice homosexuality are sinning. And many of you may not view this as a sinful thing. And I'm going to take a, just a couple minutes to address this. And I'm always weary to address specific sins, first of all, because, you know, like, like I don't want to focus on one sin. I want to focus on the grace of Christ, okay? And I'm also weary to talk about things that I haven't struggled with. And I'll be honest, I've never struggled with homosexuality. So I can't speak from experience, okay? So I'm not an authority. Like, like the Bible is authoritative, but, but it'd be better if, you know, like I have friends who like have been like homosexual and they've been saved and they've changed. Like I wish they could be here to talk about this because I don't have a whole lot of authority. Like who am I to say someone who's never been attracted to another man, hey, don't do that. But I'm just going to try to preach what the Word says. I'm just going to try to preach what it says. And I have struggled sexually, and, and, and my sexual sin is no different than the homosexual sin, okay? And that's this, like, misconception. You know, pornography is just as bad as homosexual sin. So, like, don't ever demonize a homosexual and say, oh, you're terrible. No, we're all on the same level here. Like, if you haven't sinned sexually ever, then maybe you can judge. But I don't think that's for any of us. I think all of us have struggled sexually. So we're all in the same boat. And, and uh so I just want to just unpack this first point into two parts to, to really explain, first of all, the biblical theology on homosexuality, and then we're going to talk about some heart things, like just like, you know, pastoral things, which means like dealing with people, like not just talking about theology, but how do we deal with this? So first thing is this, marriage is between a man and woman. That's the first part of the point. So the Bible doesn't even consider or consider marriage to be between two people of the same sex. They just never consider it. It's not because it... Or, it's not because it wasn't happening. Like, like Rome, or homosexuality was so prevalent. It's not because it wasn't happening. The Bible just doesn't even make room for that inside marriage. In Genesis 2, God performs the first marriage ceremony between a man and woman. And, and after that, the Bible doesn't try to redefine it. The Bible does have cases of, of uh, polygamy in the Old Testament, but it never endorses polygamy, and they always end really badly. Just go read through it. The author's trying to make a point. Don't marry multiple wives. Like, you're going to have your hands full, buddy. Don't do it. It leads to bad things. Uh, the Bible consistently teaches that, or that marriage is between a man and woman who become one flesh. It's like two opposite parts. It's like a puzzle piece. Two parts of one whole. 
coming together as one flesh. It doesn't consider homosexual marriage as an option because it completely contradicts God's purpose of marriage to bring two complementary parts together, two pieces of one whole together. For the four things I talk about, friendship, and I'm not saying homosexuals can't have friendship, but gardening, and then, and then really these two, sex and family. So you can't have sex the way God designed it. Homosexually, I'm not going to get into the details, but you just can't. There's parts. You know, the parts don't go together. And then family as well. Like, like you can't procreate. And we can say, oh, we can adopt a kid but it's, or change the gender, whatever. It, or it's never going to fix that problem. You can't naturally procreate. God doesn't even consider marriage to be anything outside this because marriage purpose is this intimate friendship between two whole, or two two halves kind of come or coming together as one flesh, okay? And you can't have that. Like even in a homosexual marriage, you cannot have that. You cannot have a man and woman, two opposite parts coming together to be fused together at the deepest levels. You can't have that. And for the calling part, the gardening, two like complementary parts, like me and Emily are very different in a lot of ways because she's a woman, I'm a man. Like I'm so glad she's there when I'm kind of wound up. Because I just go like, and she's like, hey, calm down, sweetie, calm down. And you see, that helps because, because we're wired differently. God created man and woman in a specific way, and he wired us in specific ways to complement each other. And, and like I said, you can try to change your gender, but it's not going to change who you are at, or at your inner being, okay? Like that friendship and then sex I talked about in family. So the Bible consistently views marriages between a man and woman and would never consider re, or redefining that because it would destroy the very purpose of marriage. And the second thing is this, any sex outside marriage between a man and woman is a sin. So if you can't have sex or outside of a marriage between a man and woman, then how can you have blessed homosexual sex or relationship? Like how can you have a blessed homosexual or relationship? Even if you change the, or the legality of marriage to include two people of the same gender, it still doesn't change the design of marriage instituted by God at the beginning. So sex inside a legal marriage is still sin as well because it goes against God's design. So those are like theology things. I completely, I completely or, or believe that with all of my heart. I believe that like what happened in June with the Supreme Court is going to have serious effects on our society because I believe it goes against God's, God's original design for our society. But I also understand that this is about people. This isn't about just like these ideas in our head. It's about people. And people really struggle with homosexuality. People struggle. People feel attracted to a man. Maybe, or guys feel attracted to other men. Uh, and, and it could be even from their various earliest you know, stages, so they feel like they're born with it. And these are real people. These are people. We can't just talk about this as ideas, like these lofty ideas. These, these are people, and we love people. Just like we, or just like we love the people who, who come in here who struggle with pornography. Thank God that people didn't say, hey, you struggle with pornography. You're out to me, you know, because that's what I struggled with. These are people. So I just want to talk about four things. To, or to help us in kind of or kind of navigating this with people. The first thing is this: homosexual sin is or is not worse than heterosexual sin. Both are rebellion against God's design. So Paul doesn't only mention homosexuality in his list of sins. Sorry, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church. That's not the only thing he addresses. He also addresses sexually immoral, idolaters, greedy. I'm sure some of them are greedy, and they're not going to talk about that. Thieves, drunkards, revilers. Come on, somebody. All of these sins are on the same level, and no sin is greater than the other. They still separate us from God, and they all need to be repented from. And we need to not view gay sex as this, this big-time sin up here. It's the same level as my pornography addiction. Second thing is this, because i got to go quickly. Same-sex attraction is not a sin. Sexual activity with someone of the same sex is. Okay? Being attracted to someone of the same gender is not a sin. Just like, you know... 
I'm sure some of you are attracted to each other in this room. It's, it's not a sin to be attracted to someone, it, or it's what you do with that. It, do you act on it? Do you lust after that person? Like, you know, I think Jacob Hans is a pretty guy, but if I don't act on it, if I don't act on it, it's not sin. <laughs> so, so, so we need to give people who have homosexual attraction a place to struggle with this without feeling ostracized. Like, oh, you know, you have this attraction, so you're out. No, just like people who are struggling with pornography or, or struggling with lust, like we need to struggle together. We need to like welcome people into struggle, to struggle alongside us as we struggle with our sins. It's important to understand that if someone identifies as gay, that doesn't make it like, oh, that's a sin. Like, they feel like they're attracted to other men. Like, I, like, I don't think you should identify as gay or straight or whatever. I'll talk about that. But, but that doesn't make them a sinner off the bat. Do they act on it? That's the question, okay? That's the question. Do they act on it? Just like if you're attracted to uh, or if you want to look at pornography, like, that's not a sin because, you're, because you have that desire. The sin is if you act on it, okay? That's the important thing. We need to separate how people feel like they're naturally attracted from the action. Until we do, we're not going to be able to have a logical conversation about this in our culture. So the third thing is this. We are not defined by who we are attracted to. It's important to note that we can't define ourselves by this. If we define ourselves by this, then, you know, we just call it, or we define ourselves even by our sin. It's just like, oh, there's porn addict. Like, he's porn addict. Like, you know, on his application for a job, porn addict or no? I'm sorry. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, that's what it is. Because, like, homosexual activity, it's, it's not gender. We can try to, like, look for a gene. They're probably not going to find one. If they do find one, it still doesn't change our theology. Because if they do find a gene, that just means that, hey, you know, some people are prone to addiction. I'm really, you know, guys are typically attracted to girls, and they want to have sex with pretty much any girl they see, you know. That happens for a lot of guys, okay, and girls. That happens to girls, too. Does that make it okay? Should, like, we just say, go for it. Do it. Do it, because you have that natural desire. It's natural. Do it. That would be terrible or if we just went by our natural desires, okay? So we're not defined by who we're attracted to. It's not race. It's not ethnicity. It's something you do with your body. Homosexual activity is something you do with your body. Many people are tempted to do things that they shouldn't do, and that doesn't ordain that they should do it. And here's the, I think this is the most important thing. I really want to define for us as a group, the fourth thing. Chi Alpha is a safe place for those who are struggling with homosexuality. Alpha is a safe place for those who are struggling with homosexuality. At Chi Alpha, we, like, guys, like, we're all screwed up in different ways, and we love everyone, no matter what their struggle is. And we want people who, who even identify as homosexual to say, I'm gay, which, you know, like I said, I disagree with that, but if they identify that way, to still find their home here. I want the Gay Straight Alliance on this campus to find their home at Chi Alpha. Can, can we try to, like, navigate that? Like, say, hey, we want you to be here, and we want to love you. We're not going to say it's okay. And can, and can they accept that love and say, you know, love isn't just tolerance. Love is different than that. Like, like I pray that that could happen. I pray that God could give us uh, just this divinely ordained relationship with the Gay Straight Alliance on our campus. Like, they're not evil. They're not terrible people who we just or shouldn't be around. No, like, we should love these people. And I don't know, you know, if people get saved that, you know, identify as homosexual. I don't know if God will give them heterosexual attraction. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to find intimacy and joy in Jesus Christ. And I know that someone that knows Jesus is much more joyful than someone who doesn't. I know that they find their place because each of us were wired to worship God. That's, that's what's going to bring us joy. And that's what I'm about. I'm not about changing people from being attracted to guys or into girls or whatever. 
although that would be great if God could give people heterosexual attraction, but I'm not promising that. I'm just saying I want people to find Jesus and to repent from their sin, whether it be pornography, homosexuality, or, or not homosexuality, homosexual activity, sex before marriage, whatever it is, I want people to repent and find their place in Jesus. That's what I want. So Chi Alpha is a safe place for those who struggle with homosexuality. So back to our point. Sex was designed for a marriage between one man and one woman, and any sex outside that covenant is a rebellion against both yourself and God. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers. You get the point. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The point Paul is making here is that if you do not attempt to honor God with your life, then you cannot possibly love him and have a relationship with him. If you truly love God and have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're going to walk away from these sins. You're not going to be perfect, but you will grow each and every day. We need to not accept our sins, but we need to run to the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says this, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So Paul then makes the argument that the body is not meant for sex outside marriage. That's what I said about it's a, sex outside marriage is a rebellion against your very self, because your body is not meant for that. The body should be, or be used to honor the Lord and to live the life that God has called us to live inside his proper design of marriage. Finally, verse 15 and 16 do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Oh, never. Or do, you, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So finally, Paul makes an appeal to our rationality, saying or when two people become, become one flesh, they're united in their life at every level. So why would you want to unite your life at every level with a prostitute or with someone that's not married to you or not committed to you on every level on on the physical level, on the spiritual level, on the legal level even. It should all be one package. We don't just get to separate the physical stuff from everything else. You shouldn't become one with someone physically who you're not willing to commit to for a lifetime. Why would you want to sacrifice your heart for someone who could leave you at any moment? Sex is about way more than that. So for me personally, I always wanted to wait until marriage to have sex but, you know, for me, when I got to high school, I became addicted to pornography, and I looked at it every single day. I could not get out of this slavery, and I had terrible boundaries in my relationships. I was one of those guys that's like, hey, I'm a Christian. We can do everything but sex. That was, like, my idea. Like, you know, for some reason, like, it's different, I guess, like, if I do everything else. It's just, it's really stupid. Uh, by the time I was 18, I had done just about everything sexual besides actual sex, and every time I had sexual or sexual relations or looked at pornography, uh, my heart just hardened a little bit more, and a piece of myself was kind of torn off, okay? Because, like, you're becoming a cod with these people. It, like, tears you off, or tears off. Every time you give yourself to someone sexually or commit pornea, you're degrading your very inner being. We all know this deep down inside. We know that sex outside marriage is destructive and harmful, and it rarely leads to anything good. It leads to heartbreak, pain, a lack of sensitivity to God, and so forth. We need to flee pornea. The second point is this. I'm going to fly here. Jesus can forgive us of our deepest sexual sins. There's hope. The beautiful thing about Jesus is because of his death and resurrection, our story is not over until we breathe our last. Jesus can give us a fresh start in a moment. Verse 11 says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of God. 
So Paul goes through this list of all these sins that separate us from God, and then he concludes by saying, and such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of Jesus. Paul was saying to these Corinthians who lived in the Las Vegas of their day, who'd probably done everything on this list plus some, he's saying, such were some of you, but now you are clean and forgiven. You're becoming more like Jesus, which is that sanctified word, and, you have been for, and you've been set right with God, which is the justification thing he talks about. Paul is saying the same thing to each of us today. Whether you have become a Christian already, he's saying this to you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And he's saying the same thing to people who have not yet accepted Jesus Christ. He's saying, if you accept Jesus Christ and find his forgiveness, that's going to be the past and not your future. Jesus can breathe, or breathe, or breathe new life. So as I stated, I was sexually reckless. I made tons of poor decisions. I was consumed with pornea or sexual immorality, but God gave me a fresh start. And it's actually what God used to lead me back to him. There's one night, uh, the summer after my high school year, I've shared this. For those of you who have been here all year, you probably heard this. This is just a refresher, but, but I had surpassed all the boundaries I had set up. You know, I just, had, or I just went too far with this girl. I was too drunk to even stop it from happening. And, and it led me to feel so broken, and my heart was so hard. My heart's never been that hard or up until that point or since then because I felt like I had done everything to separate myself from God because we have this idea in our culture that, you know, if you do certain things, then, then you're just a sinner. There's no chance for you. There's no hope. And I just wept before the Lord the next day. And my mom came into my bedroom. She just began to pray for me. She's a very spiritual woman. And she just began to pray and just say, or said, Jesus, show him that there's nothing he could ever do to separate him from your love. And in that moment, something changed in my heart. Something changed. Because I realized for the first time that truly nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. It didn't matter all those things I'd done. And he gave me a fresh start. And one thing I was worried about, I said, or I said, Mom, who is ever going to want to be with me or marry me? You know, what Christian girl would want to be with me when I've done all these things? And it was, so that was on July 23rd. And I met my wife on August 25th, right there, just a month later. One month. That's all it takes for God to do something new. That's all it takes. Isn't that beautiful? I remember, I can still remember that moment just weeping. And I can remember thinking, who the heck's going to want me? I'm a dirtball. That's honestly what I was thinking. And, and someone did. I'm telling you guys, if you give your life to Christ, if you confess these sins to him, and, and God gives you that fresh start, there's going to be someone who loves you enough to look past those things and to do things right. There's going to be someone. I, I, I just believe that. So God can redeem the most broken of situations. He can set you free from anything. He can, he can forgive you of anything. He can give you a beautiful marriage, even if you screwed up in the past. He can forgive us and give us a fresh start. And the final point is this. We should flee all sexual immorality. So we're just going to read the last three verses of the passage. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul says that since you were bought with a price, forgiven by Jesus, then you should glorify God in your body. And one of the main ways we can do this is honoring God in our sexual purity. We need to flee it. We need to flee sexual immorality. And when we sin sexually, we are sinning against our very selves. 
We're doing things that God never designed for us to do. It's not even natural. God didn't design us to do those things. Guys, we weren't designed to have these random hookups. We weren't designed to view pornography. We weren't designed to masturbate. We were not designed to have sex with prostitutes, which I'm sure that's that's probably not an issue for most of us. Uh, We were designed to have sexual relations with one person for our entire lives inside the beautiful covenant of marriage that binds us together with another human being on every possible level. We need to run from sexual immorality. So for me, after this happened, you know, at this time I was addicted to pornography. You know, I just had bad thinking about sexuality, about boundaries, all those things. And, and God, in that moment, just broke off these chains. And, and it took some time for pornography to get out of my life, but I can say that I've been free from pornography. Uh, I don't know how long it's been now, three and a half years or three years free from pornography. And, uh, you know, when me and Emily dated, we weren't perfect. I'm not going to lie to you. We weren't perfect. But, but by the time we got towards the end of our dating, our dating relationship, we had learned from our mistakes and, and set up proper boundaries where we were able to practice purity the last, you know, like half of our engagement. Like we, really, or we were just really able to practice that purity. And we learned how to do it. And I pray that tonight you can learn how to do it before you get in the dating relationship. And, and to not have to try to backtrack, because that's really hard to do. Once you're, you know, like, moving in a certain direction with a person, then you have to backtrack. That's really hard. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Get those boundaries set as quick as you can. But I can tell you, when I looked Emily in the eye on my wedding day, there was no regrets. You know, obviously, there's things I would have did differently. But God had forgiven me completely. And our wedding was such a representation of the gospel. Because, you know, we're not perfect. We're screwed up. But Jesus loves us way more than our screw-ups. And he can make beautiful things out of dust and out of junk. He can make beautiful things, and that's what he did with us. So the worship team would come up. We're going to close here. I just want to go through five practical things really quickly, and I don't have time to really unpack them, but if you have a notebook, please write these down. Uh, Or like I said, this is, or if you have a phone, these are the things that I used and me and Emily used to get out of our sexual sin. Uh, Five keys for victory, so we're going to go through them quickly. Five keys for sexual victory. The first thing is this, confess to God. 1 John 1, uh, 9 through 10 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you see that, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So it starts with that. So tonight, I'm praying that you guys will confess some things to him that you're holding back. Second thing is this, when you fail, run to Jesus and not from him. You know, we have this idea that, you know, if we sin, there's a probationary period with God. Like, you know, I got to just kind of sit here and, and just, you know, kind of stay away from him for a while. You know, run straight to the cross because he understands everything you've ever struggled with. And he knows you more than you know yourself. Run straight to him. Do not run from him. Sin grows best in the dark and sin is killed when it's brought out to the light. Jesus wants you to run from him, even if it's a split second after the act. He wants you to run or, or not run from him or run to him. Uh, Jesus wants you to run to him even if it's a split second after the act. So Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. The high priest is a fancy phrase for Jesus. Uh, but he's one who in every way or in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Verse 16, Then let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that each of us may receive mercy and find grace and, and help in our time of need. Third thing is this, confess to friends and establish accountability. Confess to friends. That's what small groups are for. If you're not going yet, go to small group. That's where you can confess your sins and establish accountability. James 5.16 says this, 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a a righteous person has great power as it is working. I remember when I was in small group as a freshman and sophomore here, or I'd come to guys, you know, me and Scott Dooley, I can still remember our nights together. And I'd come to him and say, man, I, I, you know, I'm struggling this week. And he'd pray for me. Scott would lay hands on me, pray for me. You know, we'd text each other every week or just give updates on our purity life. And God gives victory in that. We need to confess our sins to each other. We need to do that. We need to establish accountability. Someone that's keeping you honest. Fourth point is this. Set up boundaries and remove the source. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Come on. Keep fighting. Don't give up. And know that there's always a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, God doesn't just remove us from the situation, but he does give us outlets. Or someone I know, I'm not going to mention who it is, but, you know, they're doing something they shouldn't have been doing. Actually, two people, they're doing something they shouldn't have been doing. And there's another guy that right when they're doing it comes in the room and just opens the door. And he's a Christian and he catches them in the act. He just calls them out. God provided them a way of escape. I'm telling you, that was a catalyst to change those two. Because God sent the friend to come in and speak truth into their lives. God provides ways of escape for us. The fifth thing is this stay humble. Stay humble. Stay humble. If you want to have victory over sin, you have to stay humble. Once you think you're invincible, that's when you're going to fall. That's when you're going to fall. We need to rely on the grace of Christ and say, every morning, just come before the throne of Christ and say, Jesus, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or as we talk about the second week of the semester, or the third week about prayer, we need to start our day that way and say, Jesus, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because I know I'm prone to sin. I know I'm prone to do things I shouldn't do. God, lead me not into temptation. We need to stay humble. James 4, 6 through 10 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. He's just saying how it is. I'm going to call you all sinners in a second. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. I recognize that tonight's sermon has been really heavy. It was the hardest sermon I've ever written by far. Not because I didn't have things to say. I've lived this. But because I know that this isn't just about theology or the Bible, like we're living this, like this is stuff we've dealt with in our hearts. There's pain, maybe you've been sexually abused, maybe you're addicted to pornography. So many things that we've dealt with. Maybe you're struggling with homosexuality. There's things that, like these are like real issues and we're all dealing with them. We're all fighting for purity. My prayer for you two, or for, or for each of us in this room is that God could lead us to right thinking about sexuality and also right are also right actions with sexuality. It's vital that, 
it's vital that we hold up God's design for sex and marriage and act it out in our lives and also or stand for that. Stand for the truth. Stand for God's design because it's where flourishing, it's where joy, it's where peace with God is found. In his design, he loves you. He knew what he was doing when he created you. He loves you. He knew what he was doing when he created this, this beautiful thing called marriage where two people become one flesh, man and woman. He knew what he was doing. God didn't make a mistake. But the reality is, is sin has come into a lot of our lives and it's pulled us away from that design. The beautiful thing is that, or, or that when Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't just leave her there. God had a rescue plan. His name was Jesus. He said, I'm gonna set things right. I'm gonna set things right. And that's what God's gonna do tonight. I believe that. God will set things right if you give him your heart, if you allow him to. Let me just stand all across this room. I believe that we need to capture God's heart for sexuality. I believe we need to capture God's heart for marriage. And I believe that God is calling us to be a people, a people that actually model to a dying world the life that God has called us to live. As this campus is ravaged by our culture, we can fight back with the gospel of Jesus Christ that says you're more flawed than you could ever imagine, yet at the very same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. God doesn't agree with all your actions, but God loves you and God can give you a fresh start. God can show you how to live the life you're intended to live. God's calling us to that, but it starts with surrendering ourselves, our ideologies, our actions, all these things to God and saying, God, you're king. God, you're on the throne, and I'm going to live my life the way that you are saying I should live it. God is going to do a new thing in this place and on this campus, and I believe a new thing in our generation. I believe that God can use the sons and daughters of the sexual revolution to bring the biggest gospel movement that this world has ever seen. It starts to set broken things, set them back right again. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, there's two ways to respond tonight. The first thing is this, and this is for anybody. If you've made mistakes sexually in the past, or you even had wrong ideas about sexuality, and you want to repent of that tonight, like no one's looking around. This is personal. I, I just urge you, don't look around. This is personal. I just want you guys to raise your hands and just give that to God. Just give it to God. Tons of hands going up. Is there anybody else? God can't start to use you until you surrender to him. I see those hands. Is anybody else? You gotta surrender if you want God to use you. Okay, you can put those down. Tons of hands went up. The second point is this. Tonight you feel separated from God. You feel like your sin has separated you from him. And tonight you either wanna make a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time or to recommit to following him. If, if that's you, like, like, like this isn't for Christians. This is for people who who at this point wouldn't say that they've been following Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to put your hands up because we want you to find your hope in Christ. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? See that hand. Any more hands? Anybody else? All right, we got a couple people in here. Let's pray for that. So I'm gonna first pray for the people who wanna uh, begin their relationship with Jesus and then we'll pray for those of us who raised their hands for the first question. Jesus, we just wanna give you our hearts. God, there's a couple of us who 
who haven't been in relationship with you or maybe we've separated ourselves from you. And God, God, tonight we're just saying, God, we surrender and we want you to come in and give us a fresh start to breathe new life into our hearts, to help us become the person that you destined for us to be. Jesus, we put our faith in you and trust in your sacrifice on the cross to make all things new. God, there's a lot of us in this room who just want to repent of, of sexual sin and also uh, just wrong thinking is about sexuality. God, we repent. God, we repent for not listening to you, for not obeying you. God, we want a fresh start. God, we want freedom from our sexual sin. And, and, and God, we want to celebrate sex, but celebrate it in the right context, which is marriage between a man and woman. God, we want to celebrate it. But God, we just need a fresh start and forgiveness right now. We pray all this in your name. Amen.